y'all. Welcome to the Nuga Bell podcast, all about stories of the South, straight from the sources. I'm your host, Kate Robertson, and I'm based in the scenic city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join me and my guests as we talk about all things Chattanooga, life in the South, and beyond. Now pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of sweet tea and join us. We're so glad you're here. everyone. Welcome back to the Nuga Bell podcast. It is 2019 and I am super excited to kick off my new year recording with local artist Aaron Carney. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, so your accent is incredible. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where in the world you've lived? So I was born in Chattanooga. Really? And, and two months later, uh, my dad took me and my, my two brothers to Galway, Ireland. Mm-hmm. I was there for about four years and then moved to Wales, uh, Cardiff, Wales, and then moved to Westminster, London, and then down to Darwin, Australia. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, yeah. And then when I was about 13 is when I moved back here, when I was 12. Oh, wow. I just turned 13, but yeah. That's a lot of moving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what took y'all from place to place? Uh, my dad. Oh, okay. Just jobs he had, mm-hmm. places we wanted to live. And then when I was in London, it was when he was away. Mm-hmm. So he went to Norway and visited his brothers, and then I stayed with my two brothers in Westminster, London, mm-hmm. where my grandmother lived. Okay. And so we did that for maybe about a year and a half wow. in London. Um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording just about like how wonderful London is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I studied abroad there, we were in East London. Mm. So I think we lived at Bethnal Green. Bethnal Green. So way out there. Yeah. But Still, still a fun little area, close enough that I could just, bleh, the flat we stayed in was like two blocks from the tube station. Mm. So it was like, just hop the tube and straight in. It was so easy. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> so you just named all those really interesting places that you've lived. Is there any one place that stands out for one reason or another? I think Greece. Oh, okay. Uh, we were in Greece and it was uh, for the holiday. And... I don't know what it was. It was it was it was just being around mostly the ocean mm-hmm. is what attracted me the most mm-hmm. to it. And yeah, Greece. Yeah, I haven't been to Greece yet, but every it picture, just felt like the most magical place. Yeah, every picture I see from all the like travel bloggers I follow is just like the white buildings on a cliff and then just like the bluest ocean. Mm. And that's yeah, it's like a postcard. Oh yeah, there was one place I haven't been that I really want to go to. Mm-hmm. It's this place in Nassau, uh, in the Caribbean, where you can go scuba diving, and there's an underwater city. Oh, I've heard of that. the whole place got flooded. I've heard about that. I want to go there. Do, so seems nice do you do, me. like, actual scuba diving, or would you have to learn to do that? Um, wouldn't be hard. I do mostly free diving, though. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you are quite adventurous. I'll try to. <laughs> How'd you get into free diving? Just holding my breath and trying to reach the bottom. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's, that's about funny. it. Yeah, that's Just try not to die. <laughs> but yeah, that would be it. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons that I know you mostly in Chattanooga is through your music. So yes. can you talk about how you got into music and how that has got you from then to now? I grew up listening to classical music. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the last gifts I got from my dad was a, a full like 12 disc set of classical music. And I listened to that the whole time. And there was one song that stuck out to me, mm-hmm. uh, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. 
And that Christmas, we happened to have a piano at my mother's house in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And so I messed around on it. Didn't know anything about a piano at all. And I was just playing Moonlight Sonata over and over and playing along with that. Mm-hmm. By ear. By ear, until the point where my mom came home one night and heard it playing. She opened the door and thought it was recording and then saw me playing the piano. And so that's when she wanted to do lessons and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not big on lessons. I'm not big on <laughs> sitting in a room and doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. and over if it doesn't interest me right. still. As soon as I lose interest, I'm done. Uh, but I told my mom, if I'm going to learn lessons for something, I want to do guitar. And so did one guitar lesson from this classical guitar teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was okay. But I remember going back like the next week and realizing we're going to do the same thing. And it wasn't the genre I wanted to do. It wasn't really anything that interested me. It was just the scales mm-hmm. over and over and over. And so I had one lesson from her and quit. <laughs> and about two weeks later, uh, Christy Burns uh, did this thing at the farm school where she knew this guy named Rick Rushing, mm-hmm. who plays guitar, blues guitar. And I went to him and it just clicked. Mm-hmm. He showed me one thing on guitar and just said, follow along. And then the rest of the lessons were just like jams. Oh, those are so fun. And so that's how I learned how to play guitar. And that was when I was 14. Wow was 14 it was five years ago maybe but i did that and as soon as uh with rick rushing i got to go to memphis for the international blues competition i met so many people mm-hmm. and that led to when i was 16 i did a thing in clarkston mississippi that was an invite only to go down to clarkston mississippi and perform in this school mm-hmm. and at the end of the week after you're done with everything you've met everybody you get to play in Morgan Freeman's Blues Club down in Clarkston, Mississippi. Oh, that's awesome. And so I did that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, me and six other guitar players and musicians were invited to go meet Morgan Freeman. Oh, that's cool. And so we met Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. And then we got to do an album for him. So then we recorded an album for him. And then he took us up and down the West Coast of America, the East Coast of America, <laughs> and just played shows. That's awesome. And that was when I was 16. And so I just cut the bug. Mm-hmm. Like that. It happens real quick. And it was right around that t- same time that I started rebelling mm-hmm. against blues. Mm-hmm. Because all I would hear is the same one, four, five, da 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 And people would say it's an original. They would say it was a cover. And it would just sound, it would just blur into mm-hmm. one big drowning thing. Yeah. And I remember I was doing the show. It was probably it was in Cincinnati. I was invited to, to come up and play a show, and it was it was the best show I did because mm-hmm. it was a real it was a big turning point for me. This was when I was seventeen, mm-hmm. and I got up on stage, had no idea what I was going to play, <laughs> had no set list whatsoever, had never played with the band before, and I go on stage, and I'm trying to think. I don't want to do the same. One four five that everyone else just did, or the cover of "Ain't No Sunshine" mm-hmm. that everyone just did. Because if I did, I was either going to kill me or kill someone else. <laughs> and I just—it was dreadful. And so I went on stage, had no idea I was going to play, and then just did this kind of a, a rocky riff, mm-hmm. completely staying away from the one four five pattern, and just completely made it up. 
And I did three songs completely made up on the top of my head. Improved? Improved. Nice. And they invited me back up to close the show after I was done. And so that's when I kind of took more of a creative point mm -hmm. in making music was just to, to make it more personal to me mm -hmm. and make it a story that I wouldn't mind telling right. over and over to people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've, I've stayed away from the blues since then. Mm -hmm. And I've done Spanish rock. I've done just classic rock. Mm -hmm. done ballads. I've done classical musical pieces. Mm -hmm. Just everything you can name it. If I like it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I have a soft spot for classical music. I played violin for 12 years. Mm. So I'm right there with you on Beethoven. I picked up violin about two years ago. Oh, don't you love it? Oh, yeah. It's such a beautiful instrument. I wish I still played a little bit, but <laughs> I burned out real fast once I hit college and I just wasn't majoring in music and I was just like, I, I can't anymore, but I miss it. I love it. I'm very glad I did it. But Beethoven and Mozart were my two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love them both. So you mentioned a little bit all the different genres you've explored and played. Do you have any specific musicians or artists that you would claim as your influences or inspirations? Hosier. Oh, okay. Hosier, because it was his song Cherry Wine, where I learned how to, to finger pick. Mm -hmm. I taught myself to finger pick just doing Cherry Wine. And that was the first song I ever learned. Wow. How to play as mm -hmm. a cover. And it was also hosier because on the radio, all you would hear is Lady Gaga, Pink, Katy Perry, all these pop stars. And then on every channel, it seemed to be playing hosier, mm -hmm. who wasn't any of that, really. Right. Like, he was old school. Mm-hmm. But he like made it popular. Hear, like, you hear Take Me to Church after you hear, like, Hot and Cold or whatever, and yeah. you're just like, whoa. Yeah. It was I remember, a I remember when that song came out. And, and he'd go to an open mic, and someone would be playing one of his covers, and it made me realize that he didn't have this rock star persona. Like, he didn't want to go around doing the drugs, drinking, partying. It was a personal journey for him in music where he was a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I guess the older I got, the more I realized how much his lyrics were more adult. Mm -hmm. And I, got, I liked that too. Mm -hmm. I liked that his lyrics weren't just simple and to the point. Yeah. I've got, I've had artists that I go back and listen to now that I'm older and I'm just like, oh, I wouldn't have picked up on that as a 16 yeah. year old. But definitely one of my, the biggest influences have been in Chattanooga. Oh, okay. Uh, Ryan Oyer, mm -hmm. Courtney Holder, who goes by Ada Silver now. Yeah. That threw uh, me off so much when I saw it. I was like, wait, but she looks like. Yeah. But once I figured out, I was like, okay, I get it now. I've been listening to her new song. I haven't listened to it yet. It. You got to. You have to. I've been listening to it all day. Mm-hmm. Because I've never heard her do it, something like that. Just oh, make I'm it pop. I'm excited nice. now. Yeah, it's good. Oh, and then Danimal Pinson. Mm-hmm. Danimal Pinson. The thing that surprises me most is I met Ryan when I was 16. Oh, yeah? Like, as soon as I did the whole blues thing and kind of revolted against it. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed that Ryan Oyer, Danimal, Courtney Holder would let this... A guy that nobody heard before. Because, mm -hmm. uh, let me see, the first time I met Ryan was at this musician's meet and greet mm -hmm. by Soundcore. And I went there and I just talked to him and I was like, I have like all your albums. I met you like <laughs> Nightfall this one time. I didn't meet him at Nightfall. I just saw him at Nightfall one time. And I told him I was going to the Grand Falloon to do this open mic and he should come by. And he came by at the Grand Falloon and I had asked him if I could play with him. Mm -hmm. And he said yes. 
Oh, that's awesome. Which just surprises me. If you don't hear anybody, he's a young guy. Would you invite a 14-year-old to come on stage and play music with you? And I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And so I went up there. And it's still one of my favorite clips of me just doing lead guitar and him doing his songs. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with him for about two, three years. Oh, awesome. Went to every open mic, every show he did. Went there and I got to play with him sometimes. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. This was before I was writing my own songs. Before I was even like... I had stage fright like crazy. Really? Yeah. And so I wouldn't go on stage by myself. Oh, Okay. And so I always was just like the lead guitar player backing people up. Mm-hmm. And so Ryan got me out of that. Oh, that's good. Ryan was there when I wrote my first song, when mm-hmm. I started singing for the first time. I'm always amazed at performers that have stage fright. Every time I go on stage, I get stage fright. Really? Mm-hmm. And you just power through. It, especially if it's like a new audience. Mm-hmm. It, I just get stage fright. Interesting. If I don't know where it's going to do, what it's going to do, if how the audience is going to react. Because mm-hmm. that's the number one thing about performing is just how the audience reacts. Because playing at the feed on Sundays with Danimal, mm-hmm. you have the same audience. And the same audience, they always get up the dance to every single song and they'll, they'll really interact with mm-hmm. you, which makes you interact with them. Mm-hmm. They're not a sit down, be quiet audience, which is what I prefer. Right. Um, I think I first saw you at the feed. Yeah. I think so. And that was what I appreciate about Danimal too. Kind of the same thing with Ryan is that he just let me play with him. Mm-hmm. Had no idea where I was going to go. <laughs> Didn't even know if I could play. Mm-hmm. And just let me play with him. I've talked to several musicians on the podcast in the community around here. And there seems to be like a shared trust of like everyone else in the community. Well, there's also like an underground mafia of musicians <laughs> that decide whether you play or not. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll see someone go on an open mic stage and you'll never see them again if they're complete crap. Right. There's musicians that you'll see all the time. Mm-hmm. Courtney Holder, Ryan Oyer, and Danimal are kind of those musicians that you'll see in every band. They'll be they'll play, be playing every show. Mm-hmm. They'll be headlining everywhere. They're part of that underground mafia of musicians. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to be... To be known with them. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's awesome. What I yeah. I love it. All right. Let's play with my jar. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know what the jar is. But for new listeners of 2019, this is my mason jar filled with colorful pieces of paper with questions and fun things for us to talk about. So we can each draw a few and then talk about them and we can answer each other's questions. So I'll go first. And I just put some new ones in the other day. Mm. The most unusual thing I've ever eaten is. I'll be interested to hear what you say because you've been all over the world. Yeah. Um, I'm notoriously picky and not super adventurous when it comes to food, although I have gotten better. I will say the most unusual thing I've eaten is elk. Elk. And it was so good. I had it in Alaska and it was, oh my goodness, it was just <laughs> like the most tender, oh my gosh, I can't even describe it. But I've only ever had it that one time. And I'm like, do I have to go back to Alaska just to have this again? (laughs) And apparently I do because I can't find it anywhere else. (laughs) Mine is actually not that interesting. I went to Publix last week (laughs) and got Japanese ice cream. Interesting. And it was like a gummy outside, but on the inside it was ice cream. And so that was the weirdest one I've probably had. (laughs) 
Is it in like little balls? Yep. Oh, and it's called like mochi or mochi, mochi or something. something like that. that stuff is weird. So that's probably the, the weirdest thing I've had. That stuff is weird though. Yeah. Yeah. All right, mm. pick one. Completely unadventurous in that aspect. <laughs> What's on your playlist? Oh, how appropriate. Um, what's on my playlist is a lot of, oh, it ranges from everything. Johnny Flynn, uh, an English musician that does a lot of like folky kind of stuff. I really like his music. Mm -hmm. uh, Blanca White mm -hmm. is an Irish born, Spanish raised musician. And he does a lot of, it's weird because he has an Irish voice, but he plays Spanish guitar in all of his songs. And so it's a weird mix. Mm -hmm. I love that mix. Um, Janet Devlin was one of my favorite vocalists when I heard her. I heard her first on The X Factor in the UK, and she did a cover of Elton John's Your Song. Mm -hmm. I just fell in love with that cover mm -hmm. that she did specifically. But most of that's on my playlist. Hosier, James Bay, Codeline. Mm -hmm. Nice. Not that picky. <laughs> Mine ranges. I my kind of like master playlist that I keep loaded in my car. It ranges. I love Garth Brooks for country. I grew up listening to Garth Brooks. I have a hilarious story about Garth Brooks. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Um, I grew up listening to the Monkees, who are kind of like the American version of the Beatles, but yeah. like not as mainstream. And then I love punk rock or like pop punk. So like Yellow Car, Newfound Glory. Like, all those types. I've seen Yellow Card twice. I love them. Um, and I'm very sad they're not making music anymore. <laughs> um, and then classic rock. My dad raised me on, like, Led Zeppelin and Rush and stuff like that. And then my mom yeah. had me on, like, Elton John, the Eagles, and all that. So I got a whole blend of everything. And then I do have my classical music playlist that I listen to every now and then. Oh, yeah. So what's your Garth Brooks story? I was in Memphis doing a show. And it got a, it was a pretty big show. There was about maybe a hundred people there. Mm -hmm. It got big enough to where people were flooding the streets. And I was about to go on stage, about to go on stage. And I realized thousands and thousands of people were on Bill Street. Just, you could not walk around. And I went and did my show. And the, the security guard came up about halfway through my set and said, we need to get you off stage. Fights are breaking out. And the cops are going to show up. And I was underage. And so they took me out the back. And I got an Uber home. And it was just crazy. Mm -hmm. And I found out what had happened was Garth Brooks had a concert. And all the Garth Brooks fans flood the streets of Bill Street. And just craziness exploded. <laughs> so five fights broke out that night. Oh my gosh. But yeah. There's no friends in low places for you. <laughs> Another artist that's on my playlist a lot is Jeremy Loops. Who's that? He is a South African, just musician, artist, whatever you want to call him. And he inspired me to do Loop Stations. Okay. Because most of his shows, you go see him live, it's insane. But he uses a bunch of, there's like South African influences in his music, and it's rock and roll influences, folk music. It, it feels like a different genre of music. Mm -hmm. That's what I like about him. Interesting. I like that. But Jeremy Loops. Jeremy Loops. I'll have to look him up. What was the last book you read? Uh, what was the last book? Well, the, I have a really bad habit of starting a book and not finishing it. So the last book I actually read completely 
was Big Little Lies mm. by Leanne Moriarty, Moriarty, whatever her name is. <laughs> but I really don't get into fiction very much. I like the like memoir style, the nonfiction, that type stuff. And this was the first fiction book I read and enjoyed since I read Harry Potter. It was just the way she writes the story and the way she like structures it and the way like you think one character is going to be a certain way and then there's a twist and you don't expect it. And there were several times when I was reading it that I like screamed at certain parts just because I didn't expect what happened. So big little lies for me. <laughs> is this like the last book you read fully or just the last book you kind of opened and read? <laughs> Interpreted how you wish. The last book I read fully was Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Oh, wow. Didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> well, it's Dickens. <laughs> yeah. And the last book I read and keep reading is World Poetry. And it's a, it's a big ass book. Mm -hmm. It's full of, it has like 11,000 poets. Oh, wow. And billions of poems. Mm -hmm. And there was one poem in it that just stuck to me. Mm -hmm. I want to make it. Maybe the title of my album or the title of my memoir mm -hmm. has nothing to do with me, but it's hilarious. It was <laughs> best wishes for my supposed mistress. Interesting. I just love that idea. Yeah. But yeah, that was I, the last thing I read. I, I could see that being a great autobiography title <laughs> or album title. Either one. Right, pick one. One skill I'd really love to learn this year is... I'd like to have more emotional control. Because okay. there'll be some times in my life I won't even notice. Mm -hmm. But I'll be either really distant, mm -hmm. I'll distance myself, or I'll be very protective and possessive of, of certain things. And this came to me recently mm -hmm. it was right after thanksgiving I went to a friend's house and i was being really distant like just wandering off by myself into parts of the house that no one were and i was also being very possessive of my friends and like very protective mm -hmm. uh, like i was at this concert one time there's this drunk guy and i was like about to knock him out <laughs> throw him off the balcony because he was talking to a friend of mine and i was like yeah you just gotta stop talking <laughs> I didn't realize I was doing it until mm -hmm. I got a text from them saying they felt like I was controlling them. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want that to come across. So if there was one skill I could learn, it's just more aware of my emotions. Mm -hmm. If that counts as a skill. It does. Yes, I believe so. Fantastic. Um, I would say for me, if I'm going with something like tactical, I would say photography. I really want to get better at photography. Because I do a food blog as well. Mm. And I'm trying to get better at... Like, I want everything that I post to look as pretty as the things I look at on Pinterest. Yeah. So I have my little corner over there that I hijack and set up. I've got, like, a couple of marble slabs and some poster board. And I spend, like, two and a half hours trying to, like, set everything up the way I want it to. So photography would be mine. I have so many things I would like to learn. Mm -hmm. Just continuously. Another one would be just how, learn how to do better social media, be better at social media. Because I have maybe six posts mm -hmm. across all my social medias. And that's it. Social's hard. Social's hard. And an actual trait I'd like to learn is tattooing. Oh, I'd like to okay. do, be a tattoo artist. 
That would be cool. Yeah. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you were also an artist artist. Mm. So I can I see how that would go hand in hand. Yeah. Very nice. What's on your bar cart? Well, right now I have a bar shelf and kind of a bar cart that just holds a bunch of stuff. But I've got a lot of bourbon and wine and a lot of empty coffee mugs. <laughs> I don't know how I came into possession of half of those, but yes, a lot of bourbon, a couple bottles of wine and coffee mugs. <laughs> okay, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to tell you, Tell, I'm going to say something, so I'm going to make sure that my mother, no one in my family hears this podcast, but <laughs> um, I, my first job was at a liquor store, mm -hmm. and so I, I would get to see what comes in what goes out, and I don't really drink mm -hmm. at all. <clears throat> the last thing I had to drink was an Irish cream, uh, but I don't really have a bar cart as much as I have a secret cabinet <laughs> full of very very expensive scotches and drinks and whiskeys uh that came through and mm -hmm. i and i bought mm -hmm. all of it was legal but no one knows i have them because mm -hmm. i was underage couldn't buy them couldn't really sell them to myself either that, that was my loophole i could nice. sell to myself as an underage drinker gotcha because i knew i wasn't going to drink them mm -hmm. uh but i have like a 300 dollars scotch oh wow uh and it just the cheapest thing I have is about $115. Mm -hmm. and all of it was ran up. I would have like 17 bottles hidden away. <laughs> but that's what I have. Nice. Irish cream can't go wrong. Mm -mm. My family lives in North Carolina and I was home for the holidays. And there's a distillery in a town about an hour down the road from where my parents live that they do a bourbon barrel aged Irish cream. Mm. And it was phenomenal. Yeah. We bought a bottle and my mom and I were just drinking it on the rocks. <laughs> and that's the best way to enjoy Irish cream. But it was also... It was and I never understood drinking. I was a fantastic salesman for liquor. Mm -hmm. And one guy came in this one time and he had loads of money and he wanted something that no one really drank. And so I took him around, showed him all these things, told him stories about everything... I was completely bullshitting him. So I had no <laughs> idea. I've never tasted alcohol at this point. I uh, went around to the bourbon section and I pulled this bourbon off the top shelf, which was like 70 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I showed it to him. I'm like, this bourbon is amazing because you take a f your first sip, it'll probably taste like an old leather shoe. And your second sip, it'll probably taste like beef jerky. Like it changes every time. Mm -hmm. Had no idea what I was telling him. Like I was tired. I was bored. <laughs> and he said, that's interesting. I'll buy that. And so he bought that and came in probably like a week later and said, you were so right. First sip tasted like an old leather shoe. Second sip tasted like beef jerky. It was crazy. I was like. Good to know. Yeah. Interesting. I love it. All right. Finish this off. One thing I really miss from childhood is. Huh. One thing I miss from childhood. My innocence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my innocence. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to cop out and say I miss that too. Yeah. <laughs> that and like nap time in kindergarten. Yeah. I took nap time for granted so much as a kindergartner. I never slept. And then the older I get, I'm just like, man, I should have taken more advantage of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but alas, I did not. 
my kindergarten teacher always had these like tapes she would play to try yeah. to get us to like go to sleep. But my imagination was always just like running so wild that I would just lay there and like imagine everything. So I just never slept. <laughs> yeah, but very oh. recently I became, it got to me where I can't sleep now at night. Mm-hmm. I'm a night owl and a morning bird. It just doesn't work. Because I'll, I'll stay up and I'll think about things consistently. Mm-hmm. I miss that as a child, not thinking. Yeah. Also, that would be... Yeah. If I could shut off my thinking. Every now and then, just being able to like shut your brain off is so nice, but it's a struggle to get there. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, I want to learn more about your creative process when you're writing music and putting words to that. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about how you put a song together? The first song I wrote... That was with the words and everything, lyrics, was right after maybe like a, a, the week that my granddad was dying. Mm-hmm. And I first performed it right after he died. Oh, wow. And so I wanted to make it meaningful. I knew I didn't want to make it some sappy love song that, that you could hear on the radio and just... Because my idea is being this. Someone will hear it on Spotify or iTunes mm-hmm. and it'll just come up randomly. I want them to keep being intrigued by the song instead of going, yeah, okay, and then skip. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of how I judge musicians. Like, if I heard <laughs> them, would I just skip them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this song, I was 17, 16, 17, not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this song, and the idea was what my granddad would want us not to feel. Like, he wouldn't want us to feel shame for him being gone. Mm-hmm. He would like us to remember him and the stories that he was. And he wouldn't... He doesn't want to feel like he was a burden to us as he was dying. Because he saw how much we were trying to help him out. And so he wouldn't want us to feel like he was a burden. Or like he wasn't having fun. And so I wrote that song from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I like to change up perspectives a lot. And then sometimes... Where I'll write a song and it'll just, something just recently happened to me and it just makes a great story. Mm -hmm. I have this, a mock pub song I wrote. It's super Irish sounding. (laughs) And I wrote it after I really, really, really wanted to hit a guy. Right in the face and just (laughs) make him pass out. And so I had this really violent thought to me. And the the song is called Code to a Knockout. Mm-hmm. And the story goes, I had a friend, went to a concert, mm-hmm. and this creepy older guy, I mean, she was my age, mm-hmm. and this guy was like 30-something, and she was underage, Yeah, started dancing up on her. Ooh. Started dancing up on her, and she kept trying to move away. And I didn't hear about it until the next day. Another friend of mine told me about that, and I was like, oh my god, I got so pissed. And I was like, if I was there, that guy would be dead. Mm-hmm. I'd be in jail right now. <laughs> And so I wrote a song about what I would do if I was there. Mm-hmm. And... I'm getting a very, like, Dropkick Murphys vibe. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely be that. And then other songs will just... I'll have a dream about. Mm-hmm. And I'll wake up and it'll just be like a haunting little thing to me. And so I'll purposely write about that and really think about what I'm writing. And... Like, I had this one crazy dream... So my brother had recently gotten into a relationship, Mm -hmm. and I hated her. (laughs) 
Um, and you could see how he he just changed his whole personality, his whole what he would do during a daily basis to match hers, and I hated that. Mm-hmm. And so it was this it was this idea surrounding fake love, real problems. And so the idea I had was there's this really ridiculously rich guy with a bimbo girlfriend, <laughs> and they keep saying how much they love each other. They keep Posting photos on social media, saying like they're the perfect love, they love each other, they're never going to leave each other. And then one day they're on their boat and they get shipwrecked on and marooned on an island and they keep telling each other, everything's okay, we have each other. Well, she gets bored because she has no money. <laughs> the guy starts hallucinating and thinking that all the sand, the pebbles, the trees are his wealth. <laughs> so he thinks he's the richest man ever again. And he keeps pushing her away, saying, like, I don't need you. I have all this stuff, mm-hmm. which is nothing. And so she gets depressed and goes and drowns in the ocean. And the ocean rises up and drowns the island. And so it was this fake love, real problem mm-hmm. type situation where you're bullshitting yourself mm-hmm. and changing yourself for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a song about that. I like how you took that real life experience and turned it into this like majestic tale. I love that in songwriting. And then a lot of songs, like I said, most of my songs have maybe about 37 original songs. Mm -hmm. And more than half of them were just written on stage in the moment. Mm -hmm. Right there in the moment. And there was this one song that everybody seems to enjoy. It's called Like That. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets into it. And when I wrote it, it was about me because I, one of the words, one of the, phrases in it is up in the morning down in the evening like that was my lifestyle right then because i was getting up going to sleep when i could and just moving on going everywhere uh sleeping in the car just on the road that kind of thing songs like that made me realize how you can keep the same words but the whole meaning can change Mm -hmm. because that was a song about me and now it's a song about some girl that just wants to party at night doesn't really care about other people and you can see that she has problems there too with herself mm-hmm. and so she's trying to hide something by having this persona that she doesn't care about anything mm-hmm. i went to college with half those girls <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and most of my songs do that where i'll write them today mm-hmm. and maybe a week from now they'll take on a completely different meaning depending on what's going on in my life mm-hmm. as well i'm very hesitant about recording those songs because they change and none of them are really written down anywhere. They're all up here in my head, and I'll perform them, and I'll change the words sometimes. Interesting. Or add new words, and so I'm hesitant about recording them in mm-hmm. case I find a better phrase I like to use. But yeah. Interesting. I like that a lot. I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you sent me a few of your songs a few days ago, and I had a chance to listen to them at work mm-hmm. today. Um, and... They're untitled as of now, but there were two in particular that I very much loved. I think song number three and five Mm -hmm. that we talked about. And I'm going to plug in song number five to the episode when we're done so everyone else can listen to it. Um, And even just listening to them, I could feel there was just like this raw emotion coming out of you. That was the thing that I realized is when I started doing blues, I had this idea of having a very soulful voice. Mm-hmm. And you kind of do. And then I started doing more personal songs and I could emote that kind of, that pain mm-hmm. that I had at the time through that song and make someone else really feel that pain. Mm-hmm. And so the other day, as soon as I recorded it, Raul 
sent the recordings to a person and they said you can really feel his pain. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's exactly what I want to come across mm-hmm. is the emotion in it, not just if it sounds good or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that last song, the number five, that again was recent and written on stage mm-hmm. in the moment. I had one idea of how I wanted the sound and I went on stage and just played it and I fell in love with it. And two days later, we recorded it. Mm-hmm. And so on the recording, I'm not even sure how I wanted it to go. <laughs> even on the recording, I just went with the flow. That's so that awesome. was that was the first take mm-hmm. on that recording and just went with it. That's awesome. Um, so when you do these recordings, do you have a band or other people that play with you? Or do you play everything by yourself and then track it? On these recordings, it was just me and a cajon player, mm-hmm. me and a percussionist. And then we tracked everything else. That's awesome. What's that process like? Like, I'm imagining, like, how did how does your mind work when you're playing, like, an acoustic guitar and then you have to go back and play, like, the electric guitar? It doesn't really move. Uh, so, the way I thought of it was just, it was just a giant loop station. Okay. It was like being inside a loop station. Gotcha. There was definitely more control over it. Uh, but I liked having to pick the instruments mm-hmm. that I wanted on there. And, you know, I still, this is just like demo tracks. Mm-hmm. This isn't like the full complete album because I still want to add violins, cellos, mm-hmm. piano, backup vocals, harmonies. And I want to add a whole bunch of that. Mm-hmm. This is just the recording mm-hmm. I can hand out to people and say, there you go. Mm-hmm. This is what I sound like. Awesome. Kind of the flat line. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit earlier potentially putting an album together. What is that like? Are you like actively working towards that or is it... I'm not even really trying. It just comes <laughs> together like that. Yeah. But I did, I've always thought of what I would do if mm-hmm. I was going to come out with an album. Mm-hmm. Like what the album would look like, how many songs would be on there. Because when you're doing a set list for a certain show, I remember having to think of each song I wanted to have or just sing on there. And not even that long ago, when I wasn't even like writing, I would have to think of songs I could do or just make up. And I would have to keep thinking of song and song and song. And I would have to get to a certain number. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at the point where I have 36 originals. I could I could either split that into two albums mm-hmm. if I wanted to. Or just make it all one big album. Mm-hmm. Just whatever I wanted to do. And so I'm thinking of stuff like that. And the reason I'm thinking of stuff like that is because people keep coming up to me saying they want an album. <laughs> I never thought of that. Right. But if they want an album, I'm going to make an album. Mm-hmm. Give the people what they want. And that, that number five song, mm-hmm. untitled song number five, <laughs> that's the only song I will listen to of myself. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's the only one that I feel comfortable enough hearing myself sing to myself. Interesting. Other than that, I probably can't stand any of the song. I do. I get cringy. <laughs> But yeah, I don't mind that one. I like that one a lot. So aside from music, you do all this wonderful stuff, but you're also an artist. Mm. I started out drawing. That was the first thing I ever did, mm-hmm. really, that showed interest, that I showed interest in. Because I hated sports. Mm-hmm. I played sports, but I hated sports. I did lacrosse, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, and I hated them all. And I don't know why I kept doing them, but I did. I guess it was a, your family does it, so you have to do it. Yep. <laughs> Um, but the first thing I drew, I was with my dad. I can't remember where we were, but it was a rainy day. It was inside. I had a piece of paper and a pencil 
And I just drew a rose. Mm-hmm. I was looking at a rose, drew the rose. And I just liked it. It was this miniature version of a god complex where you felt like you were creating something for the first time. <laughs> and I liked that. It felt con- like I had control over mm-hmm. something amazing. And that's what I liked doing when I draw. Especially now that I'm at the place where I can imagine it and put it in a physical reality. Mm-hmm. I like doing that. Mm-hmm. Just where you have a random idea in your head and then you just draw it out and there it is. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with music too. Mm. Yeah, You showed me a sketch of... Um, the mountains. Of a mountain, yeah. And then the one of London. Of London, yeah. What part of London was that? That was Westminster. Okay. That was the bridge across from Big Ben and Buckingham Palace. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then now the London Eye's over there. Yeah. Okay, I know what bridge you're talking about. Yeah. Now. Love it. And that drawing was just like a random fun day. And I just drew that and then it got framed and hung up and I haven't seen it in... I haven't seen it since maybe five years ago oh, wow. is when I saw it. And then it's one of those things where you do in your childhood mm-hmm. where you don't think it's that important. And then you go back to the place you did it and it's still there. Mm-hmm. People are still talking about it and it makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah, it really does. So it was still hanging there mm-hmm. about two weeks ago when I went back. Mm-hmm. It was still there. The joys of being an artist. Oh, yeah. Or any type of creative, really. Yeah. Anything yeah. that people can appreciate you yes. by. Yes. Anything that you bring, you can tell a story and make it relate to people. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Absolutely. And my dad was a, a carpenter. Oh, okay. Did great woodwork. Mm-hmm. Built swords. Did that too. Crazy stuff like that. <laughs> That's awesome. So we probably got most of our creative side from him mm-hmm. doing that stuff. Were either of your parents musicians? Uh, both of them. Oh, wow. Both of them. My dad was a, was bigger in music my mom my mom did a lot of singing mm-hmm. church stuff and that kind of stuff and she did release an album at one point in her life can't remember when mm-hmm. i think she was 19 but she did that none of them really stuck with it none of them got as far as i did right which was my goal <laughs> was to get past what they did mm-hmm. which was mainly just church gigs yeah and i have never done a church gig <laughs> so i feel like i'm ahead yeah, I'm the only one in my family with any musical inclination, but it wasn't even, it wasn't natural. Like, I was the kid who was in lessons every week for years yeah. and practicing my butt off, like, every day that I could. And that was the thing I feel very fortunate for was, mm-hmm. it's not hard work for me. Like, it wasn't practice, practice, practice. It was just create. Mm-hmm. I was at that stage at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm very fortunate to just kind of breeze through it. Mm-hmm. And then get all these gigs without even trying. And then play with all these people without asking. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where Courtney Holder, Ryan Oyer, Danimal mm-hmm. were asking me to play with them. And that was the highest compliment. Because once you look up to someone, you idolize them. And mm-hmm. then they're asking you for a favor. You feel like a big shot. You do. And so I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And those people, especially Courtney Holder, Ayla Silver. Mm-hmm. I'll get used to calling out. <laughs> Different things. She'll come... Money is not a motivator for me. Mm -hmm. It never was. It was getting to play, getting to talk, share, tell a story. That was the biggest motivator. So playing with Courtney Holder, I always get $100 and then plus more in tips Mm -hmm. just playing with her. And I can't, for the life of me, accept that money. Mm -hmm. And she won't take it. 
So she won't accept it because she thinks I've earned it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've earned it because it was fun. Mm-hmm. And so I've started doing this thing where I'll slip all the money I made playing shows with her mm-hmm. into her tip jar mm-hmm. while she's playing in her show. <laughs> and so that's how I'll give the money back without mm-hmm. her knowing, which now she'll but Now she'll know. know. <laughs> Sorry, Courtney. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend growing up that we were in orchestra together in middle school and she was like you. She was just like naturally gifted with violin and she was the type who like, if she never practiced, she would still be incredible. And I was the one at home like practicing all the time and like making my fingers bleed. And she was just like, oh, I figured this out the other day just by listening to it. And I'd just be like, I'd kill to be able to yeah. do that. Yeah, there was a there was a funny moment last Sunday. I did I was doing I was at the feed playing mm-hmm. a show with Danimal, doing my little bit of a set. And the last song has been a song that's been stuck in my head. It had no words, no nothing really. It was just an idea of a song. And I just sang that song. And at the end of it, Daniel was coming up to me saying, wow, that's such a great song. I was like, I just made it up. And then he looked at me like deadpan face and said, fuck you. <laughs> and I, that's become a compliment to me. Yeah. When people say fuck you, that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible, though. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we can catch you at the feed almost every Sunday? Just about every Sunday. Just about every Sunday. Uh, where else do you like to play around town? Uh, anywhere there's an open mic, really. Mm-hmm. It's... Even tonight, mm-hmm. downtown at the Wednesday nights at Songbirds. Oh, okay. With Courtney Elder. I didn't know they did that. Awesome. Those two open mics, Sundays and Wednesdays mostly, and then I play Mexi Wings, nine, just about every Tuesday. Okay. Again, this is where I have to get better at my social media. Mm-hmm. I'll have a show. I'll be packed some weeks where I'm doing a show every day, mm-hmm. every other day, or it's just like one show a week. Mm-hmm. Still getting paid more than I was doing $7 an hour at a liquor store, though. Yeah. <laughs> which is the amazing part to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a real thing. Right. When you're getting paid for something that comes simple to you. Mm-hmm. And you're not really working your butt off. You go play a two-hour show and get $200 mm-hmm. for just two hours. Yep. And that's kind doing of... Doing what you love. Doing what you want to do, yeah. That's what I appreciate. That's yeah. the motivator. Mm-hmm. Is realizing I c- I'm doing this instead of the the eight hour shift, the nine hour shift at a liquor store, where I didn't drink. I hate I hated the people that came in there. <laughs> uh, just realizing that I'm doing that instead of something I completely hate. Mm-hmm. That's what motivates me mm-hmm. the most. That's awesome. I love it. Well, we are going to wrap up there. It has been absolutely fantastic having you on. It's been fantastic being here. Thank yes. you for having me. Um. Where can we find more of your music on the internet? Or Sadly, right now, no. <laughs> I have a Facebook profile mm-hmm. where you can find some clips and stuff. Uh, very soon, though, I'm going to get it all up already. YouTube, Spotify, awesome. iTunes. I'll let you know. Awesome. I have no idea, though. It'll It'll come. It'll come. <laughs> Um, And when it does, I will share it so everyone who listened to this can go check it out. Um, And I will plug Untitled Song Number 5 to the end of this episode so all y'all can listen to it. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. This has been another episode of the Nougat Bell Podcast. Thank y'all so much for listening.
out between the walls I don't play a silly games Just to make me feel ashamed Just to let yourself feel better Don't you hear the mountains call Don't you hear yourself at all And I don't play your silly games Just to make me feel ashamed yourself feel better and I don't hear you calling just to see where I'm going and I don't have your good sense a moral direction Deep inside, lost way to try to hide And when it all comes down to be my burden well, I push it down A little bit further